Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochilla alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Monday, December 30th. Happy New Year coming up. But first off, before we get off to all of the coaching hires and the bowl mania and the college football playoff and what to expect in the Belk Bowl, little Belk Bowl update for you Hokie fans out there. Tim, how was uh, how was your Christmas? Christmas was fantastic. I mean, wait, this is a podcast, right? Or well, are we live? I mean, I, I mean, I thought, I thought it was just us talking, and then we just kind of posted it to an RSS I, feed, and people listen. It's been so long since we've done this. I'm not even technically sure what part of the show we're in right now. Yeah. Um, assuming we're live and we aren't just chatting. Hello, everyone. Christmas was great. Um, you know, I've been eating like hell for the past two weeks, and that's starting to make me feel like crap. Um, and I would really like a large salad and a tall glass of water. That's how my yeah. Christmas was. Yeah, the holidays, man, they 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 don't do well on your on your waistline. I actually no. I worked out a little bit today just so I could feel a little bit better about myself. And then we ordered pizza for dinner, so then that was <sighs> shot right down the Dude, drain. That's the worst. That's the worst, but also but, the best. Yeah, you know it, it's uh, it's been good. It's been a good little holiday season. Like we did our bowl preview. A long time ago, uh, yeah. because we recorded that early, and uh, we had a little hiccup last week and couldn't get out. So here we are, and uh, you know, hope hope your holidays were good. Hope the uh, new year will be treating you well. But there's a lot to talk about, Tim, and uh, a lot of football going on, a lot to digest out there. And really, kind of where I want to start is with the college football playoff. And before we talk about LSU and the performance that that they had against Oklahoma. You know, there was there's been some talk on Twitter like, "Hey, do you do you root for ACC schools?" you know, yada yada yada. You know, yes and no for me. I don't know about you. I I feel like you and I are the same. There's the schools that you don't mind if they win or lose. There's schools that you want to see lose like, you know. Yeah. As a Virginia absolutely. Tech fan, you know, Miami comes to mind. Uh, mm-hmm. UVA would be sure. up there. Uh, I don't think anybody likes Pitt really across college football, so you don't really care about them. But if they win, it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, but the yeah. same with Miami, same with Florida State. Like, if they win, it's like, oh, that's good for the conference. And I think, you know, if you compare it to our SEC brethren out there, the SEC is a very proud conference. Oh, yeah. So it's proud, Justin. I'm sure there's been plenty uh, of you that have been at a ACC SEC game and have heard the SEC chant in the stands. And there's nothing really more demoralizing than hearing that. No. As you're walking out of the stadium as a loser. But the weird part is, it's one team that they're watching, it's one team that they're rooting for, but it's an SEC chant. So I think as ACC followers, we need to be more proud. Okay, and I know I'm it's okay been tough. It's been a tough year. It's been a tough year. I'm okay year. with that. And I noticed on your comment yesterday, you know, you made the post ACC, ACC, ACC after Clemson won. Um, and I can't remember who it was, but one of the uh, one of our followers on Twitter mentioned that she wasn't into, you know, cheering for other teams in the SEC. And, hey, not going to hate on that either, or other teams in the ACC. Not going to hate on that. I totally understand. You know, there are three teams I will not root for, Miami, UNC, and Virginia. 
in the ACC, and that's at any cost. But as far as the other teams go, I want the ACC to look good uh, in the limelight. I, I like I, I like to think we're a bit of an underrated conference when we go out uh, sitting right now with a three and two bowl record. Uh, when a lot of people said that our, our conference is one of the worst uh, in the country, I, you know, I feel good. I'd love to see our teams get some wins in bowl season so that we can point to those at the end of the year and have a hollow talking point to scream uh, into the ether. So I'm all about it, man. Yeah, and I mean, watching the Clemson-Ohio State game, like I thought that was definitely one of the top three games of the year so far in oh, college yeah. football. And, uh, you know, I just came away like very happy that Clemson won the game. And not because, you know, we're an ACC podcast and, you know, it's good for business because it's really not. I doubt we have many Clemson fans that listen to this, to be honest. No, I'm but sure we don't. I'm not a big Ohio State fan. Never have been. Um, and it's always good to see your conference represented and at, at the highest level. So right. from that standpoint, you know, I feel like Clemson elevates the ACC, obviously. Without Clemson, the ACC wouldn't be very good. It would be uh, even more of a, of a joke. But the fact that, you know, we do have teams winning during bowl season or at least competing and, and not getting blown out if we take away the Miami game, which was an absolute embarrassment, um, I think it's good for business whenever you see an ACC school win a bowl and or, uh, you know, end up in the national championship, even if it's the same team over and over and the same team that continues to dominate the conference, you know, in an ideal world that elevates those around you, the other schools, the other programs to try and succeed and build. Um, and it's not that the schools aren't doing that. It's just like they just can't. They can't get there for whatever reason. So if you're a Virginia Tech fan, if you're a UNC fan, and you're sitting in the Coastal, you're feeling pretty good right now uh, about the way that the, well, you know, unless some of you negative fans out there, you should be feeling pretty good about the direction of the program. Not saying it's, uh, you know, going to be Clemson in the next year or two, but um, there have been signs to show that, you know, those two programs at least are, are heading in the right direction on the Coastal side of things. But, Tim, let's talk about the game a little bit. So, it was the first time Trevor Lawrence was losing at halftime during his tenure at Clemson, which is hard to fathom. (laughs) That's that's an impressive stat. And the fact that they were only down two was pretty incredible because it felt like for much of the first half, I'd say for a quarter and a half, really even a little bit more, Ohio State completely dominated the game. However, the Clemson defense cannot be understated what they did. They held Ohio State to three red zone field goals um, to to keep that to keep that game in check. And right. you know, I think without that, you know, this is a different story. I think Ohio State wins. And you know, the the old tale is if you can't punch it in in the in the red zone, you're not going to win the game. That's exactly what happened. And right. And Clemson it wasn't just on. the Clemson defense either, right? I mean, Dobbins had what was a complete lob thrown out to him that he ended up dropping after review for a touchdown that would yeah. have pretty much won them the game. And OSU did everything it could, too, to step on its own foot when it got inside the red zone. So Clemson's defense, outstanding, bowing their back. But, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan um, and you're feeling hard done, maybe, by some of the officiating calls that went against you, uh, Ohio State had every chance to put that one away. Yeah, we'll talk about the officiating um, that I thought all the calls that were made were the right call. Um, sure. And we can talk sure. about those in a second. But, you know, this game for me, it really was about ebbs and flows because Ohio State looked like the best team to start the game. And then there was a period for about, you know, 
a little bit over a quarter where Clemson looked like the dominant team. It looked like they were going to be the ones to kind of turn the page going into halftime. It felt like they had taken Ohio State's best shot, and boom, there they are at the end of the first half. They're only down two after basically getting dominated for much of the first half. And then they come out, Ohio State, Clemson, it was pretty even there in the third quarter. It felt like Ohio State kind of took the lead, and then all of a sudden Clemson started doing Clemson things, and they started showing their national championship pedigree, and they started showing why they're so tough to beat. No matter the opponent, doesn't matter who they're playing, they can play the nation's best, and they were playing one of the nation's best teams, and they answered the bell. And I got to tell you, that four-play, one-minute and 18-second drive at the end of the game, yeah, where Trevor Lawrence had three passes completed and a big run for a first down. That was one of the most impressive touchdown drives I have ever seen. Four plays, no 94 yards in a minute and 18 seconds. They literally yeah. just rammed the ball down Ohio State's throat. And really the only negative about the drive was they left you know, a little bit under two minutes left on the clock for Ohio State to, to try and do something, and they almost did. Um, they had a sh- chance there at the end, but, uh, you know, at Justin Fields' interception, it looked like the receiver tried to break off the route and, and run a different way, and by that time it was too late. But just an incredible drive, and uh, that wasn't the only one. I mean, there was there was a lot of really long touchdown drives. I think Ohio State had an 83 and an 84-yard touchdown drive in the game. Clemson had a 99-yard touchdown drive um, in the third quarter to take the lead. So it was uh, it was a really interesting game. It was definitely one of the two best teams in the country. Uh, I don't think there was any doubt uh, that both of those teams belonged in the college football playoff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, other than a few critical plays that didn't go Ohio State's way and went Clemson's way, um, you know, that that seemed to be kind of the talk during the game and some of it after. But I don't know about you, Tim. The the hit from Sean Wade, who, you know, was one of the key defensive backs for, for Ohio State, that, that, I mean, that was textbook targeting. Yeah, and I'm kind of, I don't quite understand um, th- this specific targeting call. Uh, we've been going back and assessing targeting via instant replay for two years now, I think since 2017. You would have thought this was the first time this has ever happened where a targeting was assessed with no flag on the field. Uh, that caused an uproar on Twitter, which I don't understand. That probably happened like that. seven times earlier in the day. Right. That's what I mean. It's been happening for two years uh, continually. So that seemed to upset people, which I didn't understand. But okay, fair enough. Um, I could see how that maybe rubbed you the wrong way. But the second part was there were so many people upset about the targeting call itself and how it, quote unquote, wasn't targeting. And I want to make this delineation because this is why I couldn't understand it. I could understand if your beef was with the targeting rule and you wanted to see it changed. If you bifurcate that, that's fine. But so many people, there's so many Ohio State fans, and I get it, the passion, right? But they they said there's no way that was targeting. And I'm so confused because when I look in that play, I saw the lowering of the crown real time. I saw it in slow motion, and it looked like targeting from the jump. So I'm really confused as to why this has even uh, been blown up to the magnitude that it has been. Well, everybody... It also felt like everybody was talking about how Trevor Lawrence ducked his head. First off, he was already wrapped up. Sure. Okay. Secondly, Trevor Lawrence is six foot six. Okay. So if you're making forcible contact with Trevor Lawrence's head, you've gone in with poor technique. 
Right. Okay. There's just no getting around it. There was no doubt that Wade led with his helmet. I didn't think it was necessarily like he was trying to hit him head to head. But no, the way that it, he went in there and the way that he hit him, I mean, it was just textbook targeting. So, I mean, if you want to yeah. complain about it, fine. Uh, but you're wrong because it was targeting. Uh, the call was correct on the field. There's really no getting around it. I don't care if the player ducked or not. You can't blame Trevor Lawrence for ducking his head. He's getting tackled by a 350-pound dude, and he's got another defensive back coming in about to like tee him up. Yeah, I think the natural reaction is probably going to be to brace for impact, and that's exactly what he did. Um but Wade connected with the head, which you can't do. So Look, and all you have to do if you're Wade is, is pick your head up like you're taught when you're tackling. Pick your head up, and there are going to be no problems. You know, that's when you see these targeting calls where players feel hard done. It's always in a similar situation where they duck their head, and that's going to get you every time because you're leading with the crown as soon as you do it. Um, See, so not, not, not a rough call at all. I, I don't understand what all the, the outrage was about, but again, if your beef is with the uh, rule itself, then fair play. Um, I think we, we certainly need the targeting rule in place because of you know what we're learning as far as concussions and everything goes and, and, and keeping the safety of the players in mind. I think it's important. Um, but, I, but I won't fight you if you're one of those people that say, you know, hard, you know football is supposed to be hard-nosed. Let's rewind that targeting rule and play football like we used to. You know, I'm, I'm not going to die on that hill either so if that's your issue i get it if your issue is you think it was a bad targeting call i don't think that has any merit whatsoever yeah but you know at the end of the day we're not going to go back to the way the football was um as far as the hitting goes so you may as well just kind of get off that hill and you know join join the rest of uh the rest (laughs) of the modern world right because that's it's just not going to happen so sure stop complaining about it it was targeting uh the other Call on the field, uh, or there's two more. Uh, the roughing the punter call, you know, that seemed to be kind of hit with some criticism. I thought for sure that was roughing the punter. Um, yeah. yeah, two guys going for the block, you know, great. If you're going for the block, you can't make contact with the punter. They didn't run into the punter. You know, they knocked him, you know, flat on his behind. So yeah. that obviously yeah. uh, aided Clemson in their 99-yard touchdown drive. So that was a that was a big penalty. Um, it just didn't go Ohio State's way. And uh, the other one was the Justin Ross catch uh, fumble. That was ruled a catch on the field, um, and the fumble was returned for a touchdown by the Ohio State defense. But then the video review came out and turned that catch into an incomplete pass, which I also agreed with because in real time you're watching it, Ross caught the ball, extended from his body, Never had the chance to pull it into his body. Never had a chance to make a football move, which anytime you're talking about was it a catch, you always talk about did he have the chance to make a football move, and I don't think he did. And I think that's why it was overturned. Slow motion, you know, we're seeing it at like God knows how many frames per second, extremely slow. If you watched it live, his back was turned. He had already lost the ball before he even had a chance to really react and pull that ball in. So, again... If you're an Ohio State fan, I might see it your way if I'm an Ohio State fan, but if you're just watching a game, I don't think you can go away from that and say, I mean, I guess it was close to a 50-50. You can disagree if you want to, but to me, it wasn't a catch. Yeah. It was, you know, it was tough. I, I you know, when you do these things, you always want to come in with a, a firm yes or a no when it comes to these semi-controversial issues, and this this one seems to be getting the most traction 
uh, with Ohio State fans uh, looking back at this game. And I understand it. To me, this one definitely was the uh, the hardest to really diagnose. So if you look at the play in real time, initially I thought, you know, no fumble, that's an incomplete pass. Obviously, when you slow it down into slow motion, it's going to look more like a catch. But what gets me is we have a player who is catching the ball, keeping the ball outside of his body, um, obviously. And he makes three steps with the football. You know, I've counted them. Uh, with the ball firmly in his hands, uh, not bobbling or anything like that, gets hit and drops the ball. I'm sitting on that fence somewhere where part of me is like, yes, when you watch it in real time, it's bang, bang. Uh, that's an incomplete pass. And you know, in, on the replay, you are seeing three steps. I mean, I get it. That's not a travel in the NBA. But um, you know, maybe some more definition on what constitutes a football move. Because I think putting the ball in your hands, getting a firm grasp, and taking three steps is close to it. Now, I agree. Would I like to have seen him tuck it and maybe turn north-south? Yeah. I mean, that would be your textbook football move. But um, I don't know, Justin. When I look at it, to me, three steps and losing the ball, that you know, I, could, I don't think I'd be upset if they called it a fumble either. Yeah. I mean, I guess it could be bang-bang. I mean, for me, if he had brought it into his body and then fumbled, it would have been one thing. But... He never had that ability, and I think if you just watched it live, it happened so quickly. That's that's why it was overturned. So, yeah, you know. and I do. I, I will say, I hope in that booth, they are putting more credence on live replays when it comes to making those kind of calls. Because I yeah. agree, if you go to that slow mo, well, yeah, you can make anything look like a catch. To me, just seeing those three well, if you're steps made the it seem. It takes like twelve seconds, right? And right. So then so it's just I, like, well, I, I, obviously, that's a catch and a fumble. Sure, sure, and and I think I think it was the uh, rules expert that they brought on, even mentioned that uh, the two announcers were certain it was going to be a fumble. I know Herbie uh, thought that that was going to be the case, and you know the rules expert came on and alluded to that fact, saying, uh, you know, when it came to situations like this, he always wanted to see it real time, and that he thought they were going to overturn the call of a fumble because. Uh, of how bang bang it was when he looked at it in re- real time and credit to him I don't have his name but he was correct uh, perfect analysis of that and I just I wish I felt strongly one way or the other but when you're sitting on the fence at 50 uh, 50 and you're dealing with a call on the field being made of a fumble um, you know I, I could see being a little peeved at that I think if the Hokies were in a similar position uh, we might have slightly different feelings about it but you know you can't be too upset about that well, you know, as Hoagies, we have uh, plenty of history around was it a catch or not a catch. And uh, Danny you know, Cole caught that ball, I'll Justin. I'll go to my grave about the Danny Cole catch. Because it was it. obviously a catch. There's no doubt in my it mind was. it was a catch. It was beautiful catch. a catch to win the game, give us a Sugar Bowl victory. And now I'm angry. But the refs gave it to Michigan uh, because they wanted them to win. So anyways, uh, before we go off on that, um, other than that, I mean – you know, great football game. Um, you know, I felt like this was going to be the game that, you know, would be the one to watch, which is why it was in prime time. You know, there was three teams that everybody felt like were probably the ones that were playoff caliber. Um, and Ohio State and Clemson just happened to have to play each other. So it was definitely a tough draw for both teams. Um, Clemson will go on to play LSU. And LSU laid just the smackdown of smackdowns on Oklahoma oh, yeah. just brutal. I mean there's really I mean what do you even say about it I don't even know what you say other than 
you know, Joe Burrow, he had seven touchdowns in the first half passing. Justin Jefferson had four touchdown catches in the first half. They ended up winning the game 63 to 28. You know, Burrow added a rushing touchdown there in the second half. Just a completely dominant performance. Uh, it just felt like Oklahoma didn't belong on the same field. And I had worries about Oklahoma going into this game just from their performance in the Big 12 championship against the Baylor team that lost their starting quarterback in the second quarter in, uh, in Charlie Brewer. So if you if you recall, that game went to overtime. You know, Baylor was down to their third string quarterback because their second string guy wasn't getting it done. So I did have I did have some concerns, you know, from an offensive standpoint, you know, LSU, I think, has the number two offense in the country. I think Ohio State had their or Oklahoma had the number one. But defensively, LSU is much better than Oklahoma. And it's not an LSU defense of years past. You know, I think. Ohio State probably had the best defense overall of any team in the college football playoff, and they're now eliminated. I think LSU and Clemson will match up very evenly from a defensive perspective. That LSU defensive line has been absolutely dominant, but this LSU offense is incredible, and uh, it looks unstoppable at the moment. And uh, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun game to preview, Tim, with uh, Clemson and LSU. Uh, you know, I'm going to give the early nod to LSU in this one uh, without diving into it too much or overthinking it. Um, it just looks like LSU is on, you know, this this train to the national title this year. And, you know, it's got a lot of momentum. You know, Joe Burrow is the real deal. Unfortunately for him, it looks like he's probably going to be a Cincinnati Bengal. Um, so, you know, good luck, Oof. Joe, after, after the natty. But, um, yeah, I mean, incredible performance um, by LSU. It definitely felt like Oklahoma really didn't belong on the same field in that kind of stage. And, uh, yeah, Joe Burrow's Heisman hangover didn't exist. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, the, the Big 12 really struggling this year again uh, during bowl season. We've got an 0-4 record, I believe, uh, for Big 12 teams, although that could have changed in the past day. Uh, don't quote me exactly on that, but I think that's fairly accurate based on what I was looking at a couple of days ago. Um, you know, at, at some point, we're going to have to look at that conference critically and say, you know, it, maybe it's not the offenses that are overpowered. Maybe it's the defenses that are underpowered in that league. Um, it, it, they seem to keep having issues when they run into these playoffs, and I'm not sure if we'll ever see an Oklahoma team get past the first round. Um, that being said, it was an exciting football game to watch. If you like points being scored, uh, Bro handled that in spades. Um, you know, I really like Joe Burrow. I think he's going to make a fantastic pro. He seems to be able to make every throw in the book that you could possibly make. Uh, cerebrally speaking, he seems to make the right decisions. And he's a guy that can really make plays with his legs in a sneaky way. Um, I, I love Joe Burrow. Obviously, I would have chosen for the Heisman as well. So it's great that we get to see him marching on uh, to a national championship in New Orleans, which will be special for all of those LSU fans. Um, but man, I, I was not prepared uh, to see what LSU did to Oklahoma. I was expecting Oklahoma to put up a little bit more of a fight. Um, but when you're talking about what those LSU receivers were able to do, now again, great throws. Uh, by Joe Burrow in this case. But you're talking about, obviously, Justin Jefferson just hauling in touchdown catch after touchdown catch. I think he had four touchdowns in the first half. Uh, that 
what, what is that even? I don't know. Um, but you've got guys running left and right. Jamar Chase, again, fairly quiet for a guy that had been the best wide receiver all year. Um, and, you know, Thaddeus Moss, Randy Moss's son, ex-NC State tight end, uh, coming in with a huge catch as well, going four for 99 yards. It was just crazy. It was like back in the day when you would get home from, you know, GameStop and you'd pop in NCAA 2004 for the PlayStation 2. Uh, you'd turn those sliders down. You'd turn that difficulty down to uh, maybe, uh, I don't know what you call it, freshman difficulty. I don't even know what the lowest. I always played in All-America, and so I don't know what the lowest would have been. But, um, you know, you just run in four verts all day. It looked like what LSU was doing to Oklahoma, and it was just crazy. Uh, so we got a pretty good matchup coming on in this national title game, man. I'm super excited about this one um, and really, really happy that Joe Burrow and LSU get to go and uh, play that that final for the national championship in New Orleans. I think that'll be super special. Yeah, I mean, that's like 40 minutes from the LSU campus. So uh, basically a home game for the Tigers or for the LSU Tigers, I should say. Tigers versus Tigers. Um, but yeah, Death Valley that's, versus uh, Death Valley. Death, yeah. I mean, can you say storyline, Tim? Right. Unbelievable. <laughs> they write Crazy. themselves, Justin. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, that game coming up January 13th, so we've got a little bit of time to uh, to discuss. But before we jump into how our ACC, fellow ACC teams have done, Tim, let's talk about the uh, Chowder and Grits Capital One Bowl Mania group. So, let's do it. You know, honestly, I don't know what this PPR uh, statistic means here. Um, but the total, I assume, is you know the number of points that you've won thus far. So we've got targeting confirmed, the Helmet Boy 1, and P-Wall as our top three right now. And uh, I think PPR is the points you have remaining. You know. Okay, yeah, po- possible points remaining. That possible would make sense, points right? remaining. There you go. Nice acronym. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, uh, there's still plenty of time for, uh, for those to make a run. You know, I've had some I've had some bad luck with some of my higher profile picks. Like I had Utah State winning, um, and what was the bowl they were in? It was the uh, it was one of the early bowls there, Tim. Uh, yeah, Tropical Smoothie Bowl was that head. was that the one? The first could have been. Bowl? That was certainly a bowl because yeah. I remember saying that that was one of my favorite bowls due to my love of Tropical Smoothie. So that could be accurate. Tropical Smoothie is great, and that was actually a pretty good game. But Utah State came out. Uh, they lost to Kent State. That that was the matchup. Um, and then go. SMU really let me down. I thought they would play a little bit better against Florida Atlantic, but they got Same. absolutely smashed. So, um, they killed me. I have won you know, the higher profile picks so far, so, and I'm feeling pretty good about the rest. I've got Florida over UVA, for instance. Um, you know, that one's high up there. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, it's always, always fun to see how we stack up. It felt like Tim, you were near the top and then I guess you had a bad weekend. Yeah, I didn't have a great weekend. So SMU again, let me down. I had no idea FAU was going to come out gunning like that. I expected Sonny Dykes give me a little bit more push. Rhett Lashley and that SMU offense were slowed down, uh, you know, in a way that I wasn't expecting. Uh, given how well they played all year. Boise didn't put up fight against Washington, which I did not see coming. Uh, I had Boise State winning that game. Um, But again, like you, I have some picks coming that could really uh, pan out well for me. Obviously, UVA, Florida, Florida over UVA, my highest confidence pick uh, could potentially get me back in the game, as well as Alabama over Michigan and Cincinnati over BC, all pretty high-ranking games I have left. 
Um, yeah, and, you know, maybe Clemson will do me a favor and get a win over LSU to push me over the top, but uh, who knows? You know, maybe I can get back up to my, my rightful seating as first place in this group. Yeah, so let's let's jump into some of the ACC bowls here. So let's start with Miami. So uh, down there in the Independence Bowl, oh man, fourteen to nothing loss to the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs, and uh, you hate to see it. You know, only shutout in the Independence Bowl's forty-four game history. It's the second losing season in twelve years for the U, and it's all mm. about that U. Hate to see it. They've lost 9 out of 10 bowls. My favorite part of the game was they still continue to flock to the turnover chain even when they're getting beat and haven't scored a point. Yeah. And my fun stat of the day is that Louisiana Tech became the first group of five program to shut out a Power 5 school in a bowl game since the beginning of the BCS college football playoff era, which dates back to 1998. Oh, you hate to see it. Then, after the game, really in the press conference, Manny Diaz says, our inability to sustain drives on offense gave us no chance to win this football game. Next day, fires Dan Enos. So, Dan Enos, the offensive coordinator who came from Alabama, I think he had some good success there. Yeah. Didn't fare well in his one year at Miami. And, uh, no, he did not. Very much the the scapegoat of a team that doesn't seem to have an identity, and you know Miami's a team that has a lot of four and five stars, uh, but they don't have a lot of guys that fit whatever system they're trying to do. Um, I don't know what you get out of firing a coordinator after a year, um, especially one where you have a a freshman quarterback playing, and you've got a guy like Tate Martell back there who who knows what's up with that guy. I mean he's he's been like. <laughs> in and out of the program, uh, you know, played for a series and was just running around like a little gnat back in the backfield. I didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> it was and then great. Nikosi oh. Perry, I mean. Yikes. Just the guy doesn't belong behind center, okay? Can we just go ahead and turn the page on that one? You know, I know he lit up Virginia Tech um, when they played earlier this season, but that was by far the best game of his career. Uh, it doesn't look like he's ever going to replicate that again. So, yeah, they uh, you've got when you got three quarterbacks, Tim. They say you have none, and it appears that Miami's got none, um, or at least anybody who could run the Enos offense. So, you know, it basically feels like the Diaz era is on a uh, it, it's on a pretty unknown timeline right now. But if one thing we do know, Miami doesn't have a lot of time to write this ship, or. Manny Diaz doesn't have a lot of time to write this shit. No, and, you know, he'll get another year, at least if the AD is to be believed, uh, the AD coming out after the game, giving Manny Diaz his support, which is, you know, it's strange. Scapegoat is the right word for Danny Nose. Um, Obviously, a guy with that kind of track record, I I would be surprised if he was the actual issue with this team. Um, A guy that's good enough for Nick Saban is pretty much good enough for any college football program in America. And their issues seem to be much larger than talent. Obviously, there are a lot of four and five star guys on that team, uh, but they are much less uh, than the sum of their parts. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the offseason with Miami. One, they've got to find a quarterback, and I don't know if they're going to hit up the grad transfer market or not. Um, You know, does what happens with Tathan Martell? 
what happens with all these guys that expect to come in and get some playing time? Is Nikosi going to hang around? Uh, a lot of questions to be answered. The locker room certainly doesn't seem like a pleasant place if you consider all the decommitments they've had and, and some of the issues that they've had behind the scenes. So I don't know where to go from here, although I am surprised to see Manny Diaz look as over over his head as he looks right now. I mean, he looks like he's completely drowning as head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, he looks lost with uh, no idea where to go. So, right. yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's amazing what a year uh, can do. Because last year at this time, we we thought this was going to be a good thing for Miami, and uh, it is not, or it has not been thus far. So, um, interesting game there. Another very interesting game. I got to tell you, the Quick Lane Bowl was far more entertaining than I had anticipated. <laughs> and uh, for for a multitude of reasons, really. For a ton of reasons. So really, this game was just kind of, you know, meh for about two and a half quarters. And then it really started to pick up. And uh, then we started seeing some haymakers. And I mean, yeah. more so than just touchdowns, we actually started seeing some real haymakers thrown on the field. So it's not often that you see a ref get punched, uh, but that's what the quick lane bowl gave us this year. Just a good old ref ref face punch you know right at the end of the game <laughs> just uh, gotta just to live it, on and gift of me for the for the rest of time and you know you would think that if i'm saying a ref got punched you would immediately think pat narduzzi is to blame you know, he <laughs> finally snapped <laughs> he finally immediately <laughs> just lost it they're gonna lose to eastern michigan in the bowl he just absolutely just snapped and punched a ref and was taken off the field in handcuffs but no no it wasn't pat narduzzi <laughs> It was Mike Glass, the quarterback at Eastern Michigan. And, uh, you know, before we get to Mike, he wasn't the first player ejected for Eastern Michigan. Kevin McGill was the first player ejected. He happened to spit on a player, and uh, he was escorted off the field. Um, But, yeah, so, I mean, this game was close. Eastern Michigan hasn't won a bowl game since 1987. That's a long time, okay? That's a really long time. And uh, it felt like this team was going to get it done, and then Pitt pulled it pulled it out at the very end. Um, and then Mike Glass just went completely nuts on the football field. He punched a Pitt player, and he was going to punch another Pitt player and you know, happened to get the ref um, on the way to that punch. But pretty, uh, pretty interesting conclusion to the game. Uh, definitely, I don't think there's any way the quick lane bowl can match this going forward. So they should just go ahead and fold, uh, just give up naming rights, uh, because it's never going to, uh, to be that entertaining again. Um, you know, talk about what Pitt did, Tim, you know, Kenny Pickett played pretty well. He had 27 to 39 for 361, had three touchdowns. Um, Maurice French, You know, he caught a 96-yard touchdown pass that tied the game. He also set the school record for receptions in a season, breaking Larry Fitzgerald's mark of 92 back in 2003. Um, He had 12 catches on the day for 165, so he had a big day. But, but yeah, Pitt did pull it out at the end. It would have been a pretty embarrassing loss for Pitt had they lost to Eastern Michigan, uh, a team that's in the MAC 6-6, was probably on the fringe of not even getting to a bowl. And then... um, you know, Pitt struggled to to beat them. They they won by four, but you know, at the end of the day, they got it done, and uh, 
yeah, it was a little bit entertaining as as we saw it go out. And what I will say is, you know, I will miss Paris Ford if he does choose to go into the NFL draft because Damn as long yeah. as that guy's on the field, there could be, you know, a fight that breaks out at any moment. Yeah. Paris Ford's a warrior. He had a good game. That guy uh, is a bomb that's about to go off. And not from an explosive oh, yeah. standpoint. Oh, yeah. From a play standpoint. The guy is just a ticking time bomb. Yep. Well, look, he's got the, he's got Narduzzi on the sidelines. You know, I'm, I'm surprised that not everyone on that team is a ticking time bomb, kind of grabbing and absorbing their coach's energy when they're out there. Um, but, you know, another guy worth highlighting, I thought DeMar Hamlin had a fantastic game for them, defensive back for Pitt. 11 tackles, uh, one interception, really big for them. Again, like you mentioned, Pickett had a good game. Shockey Jock Louis, again, dynamic, 17 yards on the ground, 68 through the air. Um, you know, double F French, as you said, really was the star of the show on that offense, though, with 165 yards, 12 catches, and a touchdown. Pitt gets it done. Although I will say that ref may have flopped oh, really, he totally really did. severely he in totally a way that I flopped. really need I need to call him out on that, Justin. I had to watch it a few times, and I was just like, okay. He, he looked on. like a fish, like, flopping all over, like, uh, the deck the second you, like, pull him out. Of yeah. That's oh what it gosh. reminded me of. You know, you know, Coach K was just sitting in his recliner watching that game. Shrugging that guy his chin needs saying, to go oh, and watch some LeBron oh, highlights, nice. some James Harden highlights, and learn yeah. the proper technique to flop. Right, right. Okay, because it was I mean, way too obvious what what had happened there. Yeah, and so upon review, yeah, I mean, you can't do it, right? Quarterback's got to go. <laughs> no, but no, you can't punch the ref. Come on, ref, like. If all you got hit with was the tip of your cap, uh, maybe just straighten out that bad boy, keep it moving, and throw the flag. That's all I'm going to say. Well, you know, thank you, Quick Lane Bowl. I totally did not expect that ending, um, but it was a great one. It was a great one. Second best bowl game of the season so far. Yeah, yeah. At least ending. Because I ending. thought the game sure. overall wasn't oh, that was great. it was terrible. But, yeah. Oh, man, the first half was like watching paint The dry. first half was awful. I yeah. started questioning whether or not I like football watching the game. <laughs> That's correct. So, That's correct. Uh, the Military Bowl, UNC just completely dismantles Temple, 55-13. Sam Howell, once again, just dynamite. 294, three touchdowns, completed 25-34, ran for 53 yards, finished the season with 38 touchdowns, an FBS record for a freshman, breaking Trevor Lawrence's mark from last year of 33, I want to say. Uh, first bowl victory since 2013 for UNC. Sam Howell wasn't even in high school. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, winning season for the Tar Heels after they went three and nine and seventeen, two and nine last year. So uh, things are looking very bright for for Mac Brown and company. And you know, I don't want to say like, hey, they lost this, and you know, they're six and seven. They have a losing season that it was, uh, you know, going to be, you know, gloom and doom, but. I feel like bowls, I don't know if they're that important to win, but they do kind of give you a positive momentum heading into the offseason if you win them, you know. So I think for a program like UNC, it's important at this stage. Although let me just mention, too, uh, last year, uh, the year in which UNC fired Larry Fedora and they had a horrible year, they beat one team with a winning record that entire year. This year, they beat one, one team with a winning record the entire year. So... Uh, keep your expectations in check, uh, feasting on the poor opponents in Chapel Hill. 
uh, this year, losing to teams with a pulse was their MO. So they're going to need to change that as they move forward, but certainly in a better place uh, than they were last year. And I really just throw that stat around to, to troll any Tar Heel fans that are listening to this podcast. Yeah, and you know, I, I know you have some disdain for the Tar Heels. What oh. I will say is oh. even even though that might be true, they were still in majority of the games that they played. Oh, for sure. It was it was a much different season. Yeah. Much different but season. I love so you, you to come away feeling good it. about it. Yeah. Um, at least positive because it is a young football team, you know, true freshman quarterback. You'd have to say, you know, the future is is bright and that they'll be able oh my. to kind of start winning some of those close games next year. There's not a realer deal in college football right now as far as freshmen go uh, than Sam Howell. No. An absolute just heck of a quarterback. I mean, the guy can almost make every throw in the book. I'm not sure there's one that he can't make. And he throws one of the prettiest deep balls I've seen. And, you know, Jami Brown, Daz Newsom have just really exploded this year because of how well Sam Howell's played. And even in the game, I mean, look at Daz Newsom looking dynamic as ever with two touchdowns, Sam slinging the rock around. Uh, there's no doubt that the future is bright uh, in Chapel Hill. There's no doubt. Mac has those boys playing hard and more importantly it seems like the locker room culture uh is where it needs to be and and no surprise i think we all expected mac to at least have that effect yeah i feel like we already know who the top picks in the 2021 and 2022 drafts are going to be no doubt trevor lawrence and sam howell in that order so um you mentioned as newsome that dude he's pretty special I mean, he's great. He has had quite a year. Big day. Uh, had just some phenomenal catches. Uh, Storm Duck. Just want to give him a shout out because I love his name. Twenty yard Storm interception it. return for a touchdown in the game. So, you know, a great day for UNC overall. Uh, gives them some momentum heading into the off season. We'll see where they end up on the recruiting trail, but things are looking bright there as well. So, um, you know, it feels like they will be one of the teams in contention for the Coastal, at least as we head into the preseason and start talking about all that fun stuff. No doubt. The Pinstripe Bowl. So, Wake fell to Pitt, or to, not to Pitt, but to Michigan State, 27-21. to uh, Not exactly the game that we expected from Wake. Um, you know, the Michigan State defense, they gave up 250 yards of offense and three touchdowns in the first half but then no points in 101 yards of the second half. So right. uh, pretty much shut down Wake Forest. Uh, didn't They didn't have much of a pulse there in the second half. I think, you know, for Wake, four bowl games in a row. They ended the season losing four or five. I think injuries played a part in that. You know, I don't think Jamie no Newman was himself heading down the stretch, and he even got hurt in this game. Uh, you know, losing Sage Surratt and Scotty Washington in the receiving core uh, were obviously pretty big blows. Um, but, you know, they did have a nice little run there to start the season, started 7-1. and one. You know, they did have a dynamic offense. You know, this was a pretty impressive senior class that they had. And, uh, you know, it feels like Dave Clawson's really building a nice little program there in Wake Forest. So we'll see what can happen next year. And, you know, can they start winning some of these bigger games on their schedule because I think that's what's been holding them up um over the last couple of seasons but you know this ends their four or their three game bowl win streak um but overall they were in the game at the end they had a chance to win they had multiple chances to win this game uh, they just couldn't couldn't pull it out so no kudos to Michigan and, State 
I think it shows, too, how important good wide receivers are to the success of a football team. If you looked at the receivers outside of Kendall Hinton, uh, the players that played in that bowl game, they just could not get separation uh, from the Michigan State defensive backs. And when you talk about Scotty Washington, you talk about Sage Sherratt, those were two guys that really made that Wake Forest offense tick. Um, and and I mean, obviously, Jamie Newman too. feasted off of those guys. I mean, very underappreciated. I mean, absolutely. Those, those absolutely. two would have, I think the outcome probably would have been different in this game had they been on the field. No doubt. And when you talk about a school like Wake Forest, who doesn't recruit the best, isn't stocked with athletes at every position 10 deep, like let's say Clemson would be, a loss of your two top wide receivers, your two top athletes is going to damage you. And that's what we're seeing with Wake Forest offensively. Um, you know, they hung in the game well. Obviously, they were still in it till the very end. But uh, a shame to see Jamie Newman finish his season in the bowl game going 12 for 27, 175 yards, although he did end up with three touchdowns. Um, you just know it could have been a lot different if Surratt and Scotty Washington were there. So if you're a Wake Forest fan, you're feeling a little hard done. But at the same time, uh, I think Clawson is the kind of guy that's building a football program is in his image. Um, and I think he's on the right track. So eight and five, a good season for Wake Forest and certainly something to build on as they move forward. Yeah, so I mean, that is what we've seen from the ACC so far. We've got a couple of big games coming up, uh, you know, this is dropping tomorrow on Monday. Uh, we've got Florida, Virginia in the Orange Bowl. We've got Mississippi State, Louisville in the Music City Bowl. And then on Tuesday, December 31st, New Year's Eve, Virginia Tech, Kentucky in the Belk Bowl. We'll talk about that here in a second. Florida State, Arizona State in the Sun Bowl. And then Boston College, Cincinnati um, in the Birmingham Bowl on Thursday, January 2nd. So, uh, still a few more games to go for the ACC. We'll see how they fare. Uh, a lot of interesting matchups here. Um, and then, obviously, the national championship on January 13th. But, Tim, let's uh, let's talk about the belt ball a little bit. So, we did preview this uh, earlier on. So, if you haven't listened to that episode, be sure to go back and listen to the bowl preview where we talk about the belt bowl in depth. But just wanted to give you a little bit of update. So uh, it sounds like Caleb Farley is, you know, I guess we can say he's questionable. It sounds like he's yeah. probably not going to play. So uh, battling back spasms hasn't practiced much. Um, you know, there's word that Jermaine Waller hasn't practiced a whole lot. So we'll see what happens there. I don't think that's necessarily devastating for Virginia Tech in this game just because Kentucky doesn't have much of a pass attack. Right. Um, you know, the important thing is being able to contain Lynn Bowden um, in the run game. So, you know, we should be seeing Javon Quillen on the field, Amari Chat or Monty Chapman. Um, you know, we'll see who else gets some looks back there. You know, I think there's been a lot of talk, you know, will Virginia Tech be able to contain Lynn Bowden in this game? And, you know, it's always a big question when you're talking about a mobile quarterback uh, in the Virginia Tech defense. It seems to have been Bud Foster's kind of Achilles heel over the years. Um, what I will say that I think plays to Virginia Tech's benefit is that them running the football is, is no surprise. And it's not really much of a gimmick offense. Okay. This isn't Bryce Perkins in UVA. You know, this isn't the triple option offense. This is essentially a wildcat, you know, no pun intended. So it's Lynn Bowden back there running the football, you know, a little bit of option, a little bit of this. I, I'm sure they will try and take some shots down the field. Um, especially with Caleb Farley out, but at the end of the day, they're five and two with Bowden at quarterback. Uh, 
you know, the team with the most wins over that period is Louisville with seven. And that was a dominant performance um, from a defensive standpoint. But Bowden's only got 330 yards passing in those seven games total. Okay, so, yeah, you can take a shot or two down the field, but most likely, you know, in order for Kentucky to move the ball, they're going to have to run it. Virginia Tech should be able to hash that out. I think my concern for this game, Tim, is Virginia Tech going up against that Kentucky defense. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. It's a massive defensive line for Kentucky. So how will the offensive line react? How will Virginia Tech be able to run the football? Will they be able to, you know, outsmart Kentucky with all the misdirection and all the, you know, stuff that goes on before the snap and the, you know, jet sweeps and all that kind of stuff that they love to run? I think that's going to be the big question, and that's what's going to dictate, you know, if Virginia Tech wins the game or not. So if you don't know, the nose guards for Kentucky weigh 361 and 365 pounds, respectively. Wow. Their starting That's nose large. tackle is listed at six foot nine and weighs three hundred and ten pounds. And their defensive <laughs> ends weigh two hundred and eighty four and two hundred and eighty nine pounds. That is serious size, man. That's those six, guys I tell you, six foot nine is serious size on that D line. Those guys eat. Okay. Those are big boys. So for me, Lynn Lynn Bowden's the glitz and glamour. He's a dynamic athlete. I get it. I'm not so much worried about that side of the ball. I'm worried about being able to control the line of scrimmage going up against the defensive line that size. Now, despite the size, Kentucky, they're giving up 4.3 yards per carry. Okay, That ranks 77 nationally. So that's not great. Of course, they play in the SEC. That being said, they haven't beaten any of the top caliber SEC teams. Okay, They've, they've won their games beating bottom dwellers so I think there is an ability for Virginia Tech to to move the ball I think they are going to have to be uh, a little bit tricky in what they're doing Uh, maybe not attack the line of scrimmage so much maybe go around it you know I'm assuming guys that you know are 6'9 310 pounds aren't like the fastest dudes on the field Um, but you know maybe I'm wrong so we'll, we'll see what happens there the other thing Tim that I think is important to note is Pearson Prelude, Zach Sparber, and Jack Tyler are coaching in roles that they haven't coached before. Absolutely. So Charlie Wiles, you know, he's he's not here. Defensive line coach, for those that don't know. I don't know how you would know who Charlie Wiles is. Brian Mitchell, cornerbacks coach, just recently gone to NC State. And by the way, I don't know if you saw this news, Tim. I just sent you a, a story uh, from, our, from our friends at Inside Pack Sports. But... They need a new defensive line coach. So Dave Doran has uh, dismissed Kevin Patrick, and uh, he's on his way to Florida Atlantic, it sounds like. So uh, Charlie Wiles, I wonder. I wonder if he will get a look from Dave Doran there at, at, in Raleigh at NC State, especially with the Brian Mitchell hire. Um, you know, it, it seems like uh, in talking to to some people around the program there that you know, they're looking for guys that can coach, not necessarily go out and recruit. So I think we know that Charlie Wiles can coach. I think we know Brian Mitchell can coach. Um, so good hire there for NC State with Brian Mitchell. We'll see what happens with Charlie Wiles. Um, but, yeah, from a from a bowl standpoint for Virginia Tech, Tim, you know, 
I would be a little bit concerned about, you know, will these guys be ready to go? I mean, it's not just one positional group that we have to worry about. It's three. So um, I think that is something to watch from a running back standpoint. You know, it sounds like Jalen Holston is going to be dressed for this game. Uh, word is Deshaun McLeese, this may be the last game that he has. He does have an extra year of eligibility, but it sounds like he's leaning towards leaving, going to the NFL potentially. Uh, so good luck there, Deshaun. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I think it will be a good game. Uh, I don't think this is going to be like a super fun game to watch. I think it's going to be defensive heavy. Um, and if you like defense like I do, then it's fine. But uh, I don't think we're going to see a ton of points scored. But Tim, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are. I still think Virginia Tech is going to to edge out Kentucky in this one, get that win, get the ninth win of the season. But uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Virginia Tech is going to win this game. I'm like you, not terribly worried uh, about Lynn Bowden, only because we know what he's able to do on the ground, and he's not able to do much through the air. Really, quarterbacks that give Bud trouble are those that can really kill it on the ground, but also give you enough passing to respect their ground game, uh, a la Bryce Perkins, uh, as sore of a note as it is to bring up right now. Um, about not really the same kind of quarterback, and I'm not necessarily worried about anybody else on the offense for Kentucky. I'm, I'm sure now that I've said this, and now this is getting projected out to many different listeners, that Kentucky will shred us on offense, and that's perfectly fine. But like you, the defensive size, the defensive athleticism uh, from Kentucky is what worries me. Um, when you talk about our guys, obviously uh, horizontaling attack or horizontally attacking the line of scrimmage is going to be important. Uh, I think jet sweeps will maybe uh, play a big factor here. I know Core Nelson is just just trembling at the bit to go ahead and get those uh, in action. And you know, as long as we're not running too many quarterback powers or anything straight at those massive defensive linemen, we should be okay. Um, I think our offensive line is certainly good enough to handle their size. Um, and, you know, getting the passing game going is going to be important. Uh, so, you know, we're going to hope that Trey Turner is able to do Trey Turner things uh, and that this offense continues to look good, you know, as they have for, you know, the bulk of the latter half of the season. What The, the other issue that's kind of the wild card is how does, as you mentioned, the different position coaches, uh, how does that have an effect, if any? Uh, you know, there's, there's going to be no Charlie Wiles. There's going to be a lot of changes uh, on some recruiting positions. No Brian Mitchell. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure that some players are not going to be too happy about their position coaches missing. There's going to be new voices, even though in Pearson and and Jack's case, there are voices that have been there, just not at the forefront. Um, so we'll see how all that works. That instability is what's causing me more worry, I think, than anything else. Um, although I do expect Virginia Tech to come in here and get a bowl win. And I think given the way that the season went, getting this bowl game under our belt is going to be really important for next year. Um, you know, we, we stumbled a little bit on the recruiting this year, although, you know, as the recruiting period has gone on, we've gained a little more momentum thanks to our boys in Texas that have committed. Um, but given the sour taste that the recruiting has left in my mouth, and I know people have noticed, people do take note of those rankings, getting a bowl win and capping off the season that started so dreadfully with a nice win over an SEC team is going to look really good to a lot of people from the outside looking in. And that means a lot to recruiting and, and the team needs to continue the good momentum that they have and not let this defeat to UVA in the Commonwealth cup uh, being in the possession of the who's hang over their head all off season. And if you compound that loss with another loss to a beatable Kentucky team, um, you know, I'm not so sure that bodes really well for us in the off season. So let's go ahead, let's wipe our boat clean and go ahead and get that dubbed in the season. 
Yeah, so uh, like I said, I think it always provides some momentum. I think with uh, recruiting, you know, not obviously the flashiest recruiting class from a uh, ranking standpoint. Uh, so a little bit of positive momentum around uh, the football program on the field would be would be welcome. And then we're obviously going to head into an off season where. You know, we'll see what happens from a transfer standpoint. We'll see what happens with, uh, you know, with the quarterback situation. I assume Hinton Hooker is going to go into the spring as a starter, but you know, coming out of that, um, you know, I don't think anybody is is banking on Fuente naming a starter before uh, summer practice kind of unfolds and shapes up. So, uh, been a lot of positive news around Braxton Burmeister. You know, what will Quincy Patterson do to develop? Um, so yeah, I think, uh, a lot of things to look forward to, but right now, uh, let's, uh, let's get that bulk bell trophy or what did I say? Bulk bell, bulk bowl. I think it's the last, <laughs> bulk bell. I think it's the last bulk bowl. So, uh, you know, that'd be no. nice to get that, that final victory under our belts. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll just have to get that win and go out in style. Yeah, no doubt. And also shout out to the Virginia Tech basketball team here. So uh, they had their last, um, you know, non-conference matchup. They won ninety-two to thirty-seven. Not against a formidable opponent. So I'm not going <laughs> to. Hey, know, don't disrespect Maryland Eastern Shore on this podcast, sir. Yeah, they have one win. So yeah, and I think I mean they're, they're not even the like a like directional state school. No, they're a directional shore school. That's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the absolute I, worst. I guess. Uh <laughs> next game for men's basketball is at UVA on Saturday. So uh Big UVA one. is a team, they're ten and two. Um they've lost to Purdue in South Carolina this year. They definitely look like a team that can be had, so uh definitely be tuning into that. That game's at one PM on for some reason ACC regional coverage. I don't know why that game's not on ACC network, so People in Chicago, like myself, will have to watch on uh, some kind of app and stream the game. But, yeah, that's going to be fun, especially as basketball season heads into conference play. Um, And as football season winds down, we'll start to focus a little bit more on basketball, take you into March Madness, spring practice, recruiting. It's going to be a fun offseason. But, but Tim, anything else you want to hit on before we wrap this guy up? I don't want to focus on it too much. I just wanted to, again, shout out Mike Young. I think what he's done with our basketball program has been fantastic, and it's almost weird how the guy seems to fit that position for that team like an absolute glove Um, and kind of giving me someone to watch and cheer for in a weird Frank Beamer kind of way, given his connections uh, to the local area. So shout-outs to him. I was just watching the game earlier tonight, and the guy is just a joy to watch. I mean, he seems to really enjoy the hell out of what he does every time you see him on the sidelines. And he's so gracious, so humble, and so kind to everyone in the media. Just a really cool guy. So good on you, Mike Young. Good to see you doing well and beating teams by 60 points. Uh, You know, that's great. And, um, you know, maybe he'll build a dynasty here at Virginia Tech before it's all said and done. But, you know, that's it. Uh, Interesting note that you gave on Kevin Patrick. Uh, didn't see that coming. Dave Doran is going completely scorched earth on his entire coaching staff. So he seems very peeved. Um, and who knows, maybe it may be a landing spot for Charlie Wiles. I don't know, but, uh, you know, that would fit like a glove. I think if you're NC state, you couldn't do any worse. Uh, Charlie is a great, great man, a great, great coach. Uh, and you know, Raleigh and, and the NC state fan base would be lucky to have him. So that's really all I have, Justin. 
Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Also, Tim, I was just thinking, you know, the Belk Bowl naming rights are up. How about the Chowder and Grits Bowl? Oh, that would sound good. Wouldn't that be That awesome? would sound good, but realistically, there's only one name that makes sense for a bowl game in Charlotte. That's the Bojangles Bowl. Oh, man. I mean, come on. I come would on. want to go to that bowl every single year. I would, too, and I'd want gear. I would want all of the Bojangles-colored paraphernalia. Absolutely. Um, and I'm sure if, if the naming rights are indeed up, and I don't know which conglomerate of fast food people I'm speaking to right now, I don't know who owns Bojangles. I doubt they're owned um, you know, by a family that owns all the franchisees. They're probably owned by some Chinese corporation yet. Whoever you are, buy the naming rights. Let's make this happen. Yeah, I'm on board. Bojangles Bowl. 100%. You know, we don't want Good. some random, like, you know, Ryobi lawnmower bowl. No. We, we want the Bojangles Bowl. No, okay? and this is our bowl. We play in this bowl once every other year. Yeah. I mean, by God. Let's make sure we name it properly. I mean, yeah, we just want to set it up for the rest of the ACC. <laughs> the Ryobi Bowl. For, you know, college football <laughs> championships uh, yeah. after, after this season, so... Yeah, we're just trying to look out for the rest of the conference. That's all. That's it. We got you guys. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. As always, we are Chowder and Grits. Head on over to Twitter, Facebook, follow, like, interact. That's what we want to hear. Uh, you know, you can listen to us anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts seem to be the favorite. Um, but if you're out there listening and you're on your podcast app and, you know, you're like, hmm, you know, this podcast is really great. You know, how could I make these guys super happy? Tim, why don't you tell our listeners what they could do for us? Give us some reviews, share our content, interact with us on social, social, social media. That's like a Sean Connery thing I didn't intend to do this late at night. Um, but yeah, share our content, interact with us on social media as my lips are failing me. Um, and, and definitely just, you know, tell us how we're doing. Like you said, four-star reviews, five-star reviews, favorable reviews of any kind. Help us get the word out there to potential listeners. And we really appreciate all you've done to this point so far. We've seen a huge growth in our Twitter follower count, which is awesome. Uh, we absolutely love it. And we love uh, live tweeting during ACC football games and every Hokie uh, football game imaginable. So we plan to keep that up for the foreseeable future. We just ask that you guys hang around and follow us through the off season as we're going to continue to provide you guys with Hokies and ACC sports coverage uh, throughout the lean months as well at at least the clip of one episode a week unless some emergency happens um, and who knows what that could possibly be. So uh, yeah, thank you all and we appreciate everything. Uh, it's been a great season so far. Um, and it'll be an even better season next year. With that, I will go ahead and leave you with a Go Virginia Tech, Go ACC, and we like you, Mike Young. See you guys later.